We're doing a series this month, as you can tell, all is calm, all is bright. That's obviously taken from the, the song Silent Night that uh, is one of mo- a lot of people's favorite songs that we do. And every Christmas we sing about that holy night and, uh, and that all was calm and all was bright. And, uh, you know, that's just really a reference to peace and joy. And, um, you know, there's, there's no better time to celebrate peace and joy than during the, the Christmas season when we're celebrating the the birth of our Savior. Anybody feel like they could use some peace and joy right now? I think we could all use some, amen? Um, well, we're going to be talking about it these next couple weeks, and our Christmas service is only two weeks from today. Uh, it just feels like Thanksgiving was yesterday, and now we're already talking about Christmas a couple weeks away. And uh, we encourage you on that Sunday to, to bring, bring those that don't have a relationship with Jesus. We'll, we're going to bring the gospel in a, in a loving, caring way, and we're going we're gonna to believe that God's going to touch hearts that day. So I want you to invite people for that Sunday, for every Sunday this month, really, and every Sunday every month, for that matter. So I'll just, you know, we'll just do it every week. Just bring people. It's fun. Uh, We do have a verse, too, that we like to, we're going to centralize these next few weeks as well. And so as I read that verse, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read the word. And uh, it's out of Luke 2, which is one of the versions of the Christmas story that we hear every year, and this is where you know, uh, Mary and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem because they were taking a census, and, and Joseph was from the line of David, so he had to go to Bethlehem for this census, and as they got there, you know, that uh, Mary went into labor and, and gave birth to Jesus, and it says that there were shepherds in the fields nearby that were watching their, their sheep, and an angel of the Lord appeared out of the middle of nowhere, out in this field in front of these shepherds, and it says, the glory of the Lord shone. And uh, how, I mean, you know, that would be a pretty terrifying experience to see the glory of God. They're just out there minding their own business, taking care of their sheep. And here comes this angel and the glory of the Lord is shining. And it says that the shepherds were terrified, which I can understand why. That's, few people have had that type of experience with God. And then we see what the angel says in verses 10 to 12. And these are my verses for today. Or 10 to 11, excuse me. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. He's saying all is calm. There's no reason for fear. I'm bringing... I'm giving you peace today. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. All is bright. I'm bringing joy. You don't have to be afraid. I'm bringing joy. And this is why. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. If you need reason in this season for peace and joy, to be calm and bright, the angel gives us the clue right here. He says, this is it. This is why you can have peace and joy is because a Savior has been born. He's going to save you from your sins. He's going to redeem the world, pay the price for the sins of every human being. That's enough to make us have peace and joy. Would you pray with me today? Father, we love you. We thank you that your word changes us. We thank you today that even now you are renewing our minds. We thank you that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, Lord, as we read the word today, as, we, as, as I bring this message, Lord, I pray that you would stoke our faith, that you would raise us up, that you would stir us up, Lord, that you would do your work in our hearts. God, we have reason to have peace and joy in our life, and we will stand on that today. We pray that you would do your work in every one of our hearts and that you would seal it by your spirit, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen. Well, before you're seated, look at someone and say, it's time to be calm and bright. Amen. So today I'm going to talk about being calm. All is calm. And uh, 
I would start by asking you a question today. Do you have peace in your life? Are you at peace? Would you say you're in a season of life where you are calm, where you are enjoying peace in your heart and in your mind today? I can tell you if you're not, I'm not going to be the person to tell you to calm down. <laughs> because psychologically, we know that when someone is in a heightened state of emotion, the worst thing you can do is tell them to calm down. Right? Husbands, we've probably learned that the hard way. I've never done that, but I've heard of guys that have, and they didn't make it. Right? Us men, we're not too bright sometimes when it comes to dealing with situations like that. In fact, I saw a meme not too long ago. It was a, a screenshot of a text that a husband sent his wife after they'd had a fight, and it said, this is how men apologize. And the text just read, are you in a better mood yet? <laughs> I don't think he probably made it either, but... At least he did it by text so she couldn't get to him right away. Maybe she had time to, to, to calm down before she uh, actually ran into him. But I think we would all agree that we could all use some calm in our lives right now. Right? The definition of calm is to be in an unruffled state and to be peaceful. Man, we could all use some of that, couldn't we? You know, in 2020, if there was a theme for 2020, the words calm and peaceful or, and anything resembling those two words would not be in that theme. Right? It has been a tumultuous year, to say the least, in many, many ways. And this pandemic not, not being the, the least of all the ways that it's been a tough year for many, many people. And we could use some peace and we could use some calm in our life. But you know what? Even besides what we've been dealing with since March, the, the American Christmas season doesn't really breed a lot of calm, peace in our lives either, right? When Christmas season hits, it's exciting and it's fun, but it also raises our stress level almost immediately, doesn't it? Like you got so many things that we have to think about and deal with during the Christmas season. You have, who am I going to get gifts for? And then once I decide who, I got to decide what I'm going to get them. And then when I decide what I'm going to get them, I actually have to go get it, which means I got to fight the crowd. And then that says I'm going to be spending money. And so we're, we get stressed out because we're spending money at Christmas that we don't normally spend. And then there's the decorations that have to be trendy and cute. And you have to get new ones every year because the ones last year are ancient and old. They don't look good anymore. And, and uh, so you're spending money on that. And then you got the food that you're eating. And everybody's making sweets and food. And you get stressed out that you're going to gain 10 pounds in December. And trying your hardest not to, even though you're trying to figure out how you can shove all those pastries in your mouth and not gain weight. And uh, if, if exercise was just in the mind, we could all be thin, right? But there's so many things that, that can stress us out during the month of December that can, that can play into us not having peace and not being calm. In fact, even the first, very first Christmas didn't start out very peaceful and calm. As I said earlier, Mary and Joseph, they had to go to, to Bethlehem. That's not where they lived. They, they went to Bethlehem because they had to go there for the census. And Mary goes into labor while they're there. And, they, and she has to give birth. Well, there's no rooms. You guys know the story. You've seen it played out on stages during Christmas at churches and schools. And, you know, we make it real cute when it's on stage and you just, you giggle and laugh because the little kids are dressed up like shepherds and it's all fun and nice. But the real event that happened probably wasn't real calm and peaceful. As Mary giving birth in a, in a stable and having to put Jesus in a feeding trough and wrapping him in rags, um, not real calm and peaceful. But, you know, there's something tells me that the moment that Jesus was born, that there was an unexplainable peace that came over Mary and Joseph. And it, the Bible doesn't tell us that, but it doesn't have to tell me that because I know that's who Jesus is. I realize he was a baby, and I'm sure he cried too, but this was not just any baby. This was the Savior of the world coming into the world in, in the flesh to dwell among us. And I believe that, that there was a peace that came over them immediately. Frankly, that's who Jesus is. 
In fact, when Isaiah prophesied the coming of Jesus hundreds of years earlier, in Isaiah 9 and 6, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. That's who he is. He is our peace. There's no, there's no denying it. You don't have to... You don't even have to look deep in the word to see it, that that is who he is. He's not a, a layperson of peace. He's not a sergeant of peace. He's not even a general of peace. He is the prince of peace. He is royalty. He owns peace, and he gives it to us. We are heirs and co-heirs with Christ, and when we are in him, we have a right to have peace in our life. We have a right to it. You can claim it. You can have it, and you can own it in your life. In fact, Colossians 3.15 the Apostle Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it rule in you, because he's the prince of peace. We're talking about his peace ruling in us. And Paul's saying all we got to do is let it rule, because it's ours to have. But how many of you know that just because Jesus came to give us peace, that he's the prince of peace and offers it in our life, it doesn't mean that our life's going to be easy breezy. It doesn't mean that all our bills are just automatically going to be paid. It doesn't mean that we're never going to have sickness in these finite bodies. It doesn't mean that if we're in school that all our grades are just going to be easy. We're going to get A's. We're actually going to have to work for it, right? And sometimes we don't even get good grades when we work for it. It doesn't mean all our relationships are just going to be flawless and easy and perfect. It doesn't mean our marriage is just always going to be perfect and there's not going to be any issues. It doesn't mean our kids are just always going to behave and do what they're supposed to do just because Jesus is the Prince of Peace and we can have that peace in our life. It doesn't mean that at all. Now, he does do those things for us. But that's not what his peace is about. His peace is not the absence of chaos. It's rest and comfort in the midst of chaos. That's what his peace is for each and every one of us. And we have to understand that because it's too easy for us to get caught up in this idea that the peace that Jesus brings is a peace that would just keep anything bad from ever happening to us. And you don't have to live long to know that bad things happen even to people that love Jesus. And he is who he says he is. So if we think that he's just supposed to keep it, everything away from us, then we're not understanding who he is. Because he is not a man that he would lie. He gives us peace, and that peace comes in the chaos. You see, some of us have approached that relationship with Jesus in such a way that we almost think of him as like a bouncer, and he, he's the bouncer in the club of our life. Okay? He's standing at the door. He's this big, burly dude. Any demons or any uninvited guests that would want to come in, he's blocking them. He's saying, no, 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 you're not getting in here. I got my child of God back here, my son or my daughter. And you're not getting in. We think he should just be a bouncer. And if, you're not, if they're not on the invitation list, he kicks them out and doesn't let them in. Well, that's not necessarily who he is. In fact, I would go as far as to say sometimes Jesus lets uninvited guests into the club. Now, I know this might be messing with some of your theology. But I want you to think about that for a minute. Sometimes he, he allows uninvited guests into the club. Has COVID-19 affected your life? They've been allowed to come in. They weren't invited. But it's been allowed to come in. Jesus wasn't asleep at the wheel. So sometimes he allows those uninvited guests in to our life for a season. It's not to mess us up. It's not because he's a masochist or he doesn't care about us. It's the absolute complete opposite of that. He does it because it is for our betterment. It is because we are made better through the trials in our life. He has brought glory through the trials in our life. Because he's really about glorifying himself first. And if he thinks allowing something into our life that's uninvited will bring him glory, he'll do it. And he does it 
all the time because it's about him getting glory, but it's about him working in us and making us more like him. And frankly, true peace that God gives is only learned through those situations. It's only learned after going through the trials of life, going through the chaos, going through the tough times. That's when we really learn peace. The absence of any chaos, the absence of any turmoil isn't necessarily where we learn peace. We just get to enjoy the fruits of it. But to really learn it comes from actually dealing with it. And you know what? It happened to him, and we're glad it did. I I don't think he would have invited crucifixion into his life or invited the torture that he went through or his one of his own disciples betraying him and we know that because when he was in the garden the night he got arrested he said to the father he said if there's any other way if there's any other way one jesus he was looking for any other way too but he knew there was no other way and he was given to it but it was an uninvited guest in his life and if that hadn't happened you and i would not have redemption we would not have the atonement for our sins but we do because of what happened and it's interesting because if you look at the night that Jesus was arrested, so he was with his disciples, and you guys know the story, Judas came with the Jewish leaders to arrest him, right? And we see what Jesus said to them in Luke 22. Look at this. When they came to him, Jesus said, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Church, I came to tell you today that sometimes in our life, darkness gets an hour. Think about it. Sometimes darkness gets an hour. Now, I'm thankful that it doesn't get a decade. It doesn't get a century. It doesn't get our whole life. But sometimes it gets an hour. For God's purposes to be accomplished in our life, sometimes darkness gets an hour. And we have to understand that. And we have to be okay with that. That our peace does not depend on there never being any darkness. Our peace is in spite of the darkness. It's in the midst of the darkness. Psalm 30 says that though sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. Amen? That's worthy of praise, isn't it? That's who he is. Though there may be some darkness, joy's coming. Sometimes we just got to hold on. Sometimes we just have to wait and be ready. And I'm telling you today, some of the reason that some of us don't have peace in the midst of these trials is because we're not meditating on the truth. We have to meditate on God's truth, not on the world's truth, not on our emotions, not on how it feels. We meditate on the truth. Jesus said in John 8 that you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The truth is what said. He said you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. That tells me that the, truth, the, the freedom is not based on my outward circumstances. Freedom really comes from in here. That's how Paul can be free when he's in prison and writing letters that are going to be read today. Freedom is not an outward thing. Freedom is right here. He says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. He didn't say you'll know the truth and the truth will cause you to avoid every trouble in life. He says it's going to make you free. Because Jesus also said in, in John 14, he said, in this world you're going to have trouble. But you can take heart because I've overcome the world. You can be free in here even when you're not free out here. When there's turmoil and there's hard times going on in our life. But you can't just know the truth. You have to love it too. Paul tells us in 2 Thessalonians 2, he says that they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So it's not enough just to know it. The demons know the truth. 
We have to know it, and we have to love it, and we have to meditate on it. We do those, we can, we can literally have peace in any situation that we go through in our life, even during the Christmas season. Hallelujah and amen, right? So what I want to do today, I want to give you a couple points, a couple keys that I think will help us find calm in the hour of darkness. When, 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 that, when darkness gets that hour in our life. You know, I think this is more pertinent probably than often, than, than maybe at other times, because I don't think anyone has avoided the ramifications and the effects of this pandemic in our life. We've all felt the effects of it in some way. We've all felt like darkness in some way because of this pandemic. And not just that, there's so many things in our society right now and in our lives that can cause us to have, feel like we're going through a dark night. And so it's very important that, that we understand the truth of God's word so that we can have his peace. So first and foremost, we need to know that we are not alone. Now, that may sound elementary. You learn that when you're a little tiny kid in Sunday school, that Jesus is always with you. He's in your heart. But boy, it's so easy for us to forget it. It's so easy for us to live like we don't really know it or don't really believe it. But we are never, ever alone. You know, we're talking about darkness. And I think about like if the power were to go out in your house. I know when I was a kid, if the power went out in my house and everything went dark, if my family was there and I was with them and my parents, my dad was there, it was actually fun. You light some candles, you sit around the table, play some Uno, have a good time, make some memories, right? Roast some marshmallows over the candles, you know, whatever. But man, if I'm home alone and the power goes out, that's a different story when I was a kid. If it goes out and I'm alone as a kid, suddenly there is a serial killer in my closet. And he's been hanging out there for years waiting for the power to go out so he can come and get me. Every creek is another person coming in your house like, man, how many people can come in my house to kill me? It's like one every 10 seconds, right? Your mind just goes to all kinds of places because you're all by yourself. But man, when you're with people, when you're with your family, when you're with your father, it's a whole different story. You can actually enjoy it. You know? And if you, power goes out and you're all upstairs in the living room and everything's good and dad's like, I'm going to go down to the basement and make sure I don't need to trip any breakers, I'm going with him. I'm going wherever you go, dad. Because suddenly the basement's the place to be now because dad's there, right? So if we stick next to the father, the darkness isn't as big a deal, right? It, we have to remember that we're not alone in all of this. Jesus promises us that there will be moments of darkness, but he promises us he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will go with us everywhere, even to the end of the world. That's who he is. And you know, one of the glaring differences between our heavenly father and our earthly father is that he will never leave us. See, some of you may have had a bad example, a less than stellar example of a father that maybe left you while you were in the darkness, maybe caused some darkness in your life. And so it's caused you, to, it skewed your view of your heavenly father. I want to say today, as a, as a minister of the gospel, that your heavenly father is nothing like that. He does not leave us. And, you know, even the best earthly father doesn't stand a chance, doesn't hold a candle to our heavenly father. The best of intentions don't even hold a candle to how good our heavenly father is and what he can really be for us and do for us. So don't allow a, a relationship with an earthly parent or an uncle or a teacher or somebody that has harmed you in some way or skewed your view of what a, uh, an authority figure could be. Don't let it skew your view of God because that's not who he is. He is good all the time. And he came and died for you. Amen.
Jesus reassured us before he died that he was never going to leave us. When he was talking to his disciples in John 14, he was saying how he had to go, but he was going to do something for us. Let me read it in verse 26 and 27. He said, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. All is calm. With Jesus, all is calm. He says, my peace I give to you. I love that he says, he doesn't just say peace I'm giving you. He didn't just say like, hey, I got some peace up here on the shelf. I'm going to give you a little bit of it. He's giving you his. You know, you go into a store and you want to buy something that's highly coveted. And the owner says, well, I'm out of it, but I got one and I'll give you mine. You want that one. If it was good enough for the owner, I'll take it. You know, when he gives us his peace, that's, a, that's another level than just having regular peace. You know, when I was uh, in the mid-90s, I, wanted to, I was living in Ohio still. I was 20, broke, you know, the way, the way it's supposed to be for 20-year-olds. And uh, I wanted to come down to Georgia to visit some friends, actually. And uh, I had a Ford Pinto. Yeah. Those are such great cars, they don't even make them anymore. So it was a piece of junk. And uh, my dad had just bought a brand-new Mustang GT 5.0, and it was red. I mean, it was beautiful. It still smelled new. And I worked up the nerve to ask him if I could take his car down to Georgia. And to my shock, he said yes. And I grabbed the keys and got out of there quickly before he changed his mind. And so I was able to bring, I was able to drive a brand new Mustang down 77 to get down here to Georgia rather than an old 78 Ford Pinto that didn't even have air conditioning. And let me tell you, having my father's car and having what was his and him giving it to me made my trip a lot better. And let me tell you, I, the, the girls that drove by me, they thought I looked better, too. I could just tell. They didn't say it, but I could just tell. You just look, it's like a guy looks better with a guitar in his hand. You look better driving a Ford Mustang, too. So. But it was, like, it was, it was the, that, that, that illustration that my dad actually gave me what was his. It was so much better than what I had on my own. And when our Heavenly Father gives us his peace, it's so much better than any peace we could have on our own. And not only that, he says that I don't give as the world gives. This is a hidden nugget of truth in the word of God that we could so, you probably read this verse before. I've read it dozens of times. But man, when I was studying it this week, it just jumped out at me. He says, I don't give as the world gives. He's telling you, you know the peace the world gives? The peace the world gives is a fraud. Because the peace the world gives is all about avoidance. It's about not getting in the situation. It's about turning a blind eye to it. It's about doing everything in your power to avoid the storm. You see a storm coming, you go around it. That's the peace the world gives. But it's a fraud because there, sometimes, how many of you know, you can try to avoid the storm all day. Sometimes the storm finds you. You can be innocent, not doing anything wrong, and the storm can find you. You get a bad report from the doctor. You get a bad, you get a bad meeting with your boss. You get anything. Those, sometimes those storms find you. The, peace, the world can't give you a peace in that situation. And Jesus says, I'll give you a peace that the world can't give you. Because their, their peace is a, a fallacy. Jesus' peace is about victory. Jesus' peace is not about avoiding the storm. It's about the peace in the storm. It's about being able to be in it, even though it's chaotic and everything's going crazy and everything's going nuts. It's Jesus sleeping in the boat when the disciples are thinking they're going to die. That's the peace that Jesus gives. And I love that so much because he says, I'm not gonna, you don't have to worry about the peace the world tries to offer you. Take my peace. Then you don't, you don't go looking for the storms, but when they come, because they always do, 
We all have storms in life. I mean, if you get a, if you get a six-month stretch with no storms, you're doing great. You know, they're coming. They're just, they just are. That's just the, we live in a fallen world. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you a peace that will help you in those storms. Not trying to turn a blind eye to it and act like it doesn't exist, but really being able to be better in the midst of that and growing in the midst of it. Jesus offers us the calm in the storm. You know, the word peace in the Bible is shalom. And that word does not mean simply the absence of difficulty. It's for your better. It's to make you better. That's the peace that shalom means. It's about for your ultimate good. And I love it. You know, in Psalm 23, we all, most of us know that whole chapter. We can recite it. You learn it in Sunday school as a kid. The Lord is my shepherd. And in verse 4, it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why do we fear no evil? Because you are with me. That's why. That's it. That's all we need to know. We're not alone. He's with us. I don't have to fear any evil. He doesn't say, because you're with me, you're going to take me around the valley of the shadow of death and keep me on the, on the nice green pastures. He says, even though I walk through it, I'm not going to fear. I don't have to fear because I'm not alone. Because I've got the Savior of the world with me. Mm. All right, let me move on to the next one. We can be calm in the darkness because the darkness is temporary. It will not last forever. And this is one of the most important truths that we need to know and we need to understand as followers of Jesus. You know what makes us feel hopeless in the darkness? Is thinking that, that, that it's never going to end. That there's no end to it. That it's just going to, this is my life, this is the way it's going to be forever. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. When in reality, if we're standing on God's word and we're standing on his truth and we're waiting on him, we can know that it is temporary. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 6, he says, let us not become weary in doing good. He's saying, don't be weary, don't give up. And this is why. Because at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That tells me that the, the, the sowing we're doing, the tough time we're doing, he says, don't get weary in that. Because at the proper time, temporary, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. That's a wonderful promise from our God. He never, ever forgets us. He's never late. You're never on the back burner. His promises are true. His purposes are going to be accomplished in your life. Sometimes it's just a matter of waiting and understanding that he's working in the midst of it, and we can have peace in the midst of it. See, sometimes it's not up to me to fix my darkness. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's a matter it's because I made some bad decisions, and I need to make some different decisions to get out of that darkness. Sometimes the darkness is just there, and I need to just wait. You know, there's times if you're in the house and the power goes out or your room goes dark, sometimes it might be a matter of going to the panel box and flipping a breaker, power comes back on. Sometimes it might just be a light bulb you need to change out and everything's fine. Other times you go and you check everything and there's no power. And so in that moment, you call the power company, let them know, and then you sit and you wait. Because the problem is bigger than you. It's bigger than what you can see. And so you have to wait for the source of your power to come and fix the darkness. Using Georgia power in a sermon. How about that? <laughs> Sometimes that's all we can do is wait. And let me tell you, waiting is okay. Waiting for God, waiting on God is okay. And in fact, when we can understand, when, when, when we've done what we can do, and we realize, okay, there's nothing I can do to make COVID-19 go away. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to wait on my God. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to wait expectantly. 
Because we can trust him in the waiting. Because when we're waiting on him, he promises us it's never in vain. Our waiting on God is never, ever in vain if we're waiting for him. In fact, in Isaiah 40, probably the most famous verse, passage about waiting that encourages us so much, we hear it all the time. It says, they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we wait on the Lord, you may say, well, I don't feel that way. I don't feel my strength renewed. I don't feel like I'm mounted up on wings. I don't feel like I'm not weary and not faint. Well, then I'm going to tell you today, you're not waiting right. You're just not waiting right. Now, I'm not up here being sanctimonious. I've done it plenty too, or I haven't waited right. I know though, when I get in that place of anxiety and worry and fear, immediately I know I'm not waiting right. And I need to renew. I need to reset. I can get in my feels too. I'm a human. I get in it and I'll sit there and I'll think about everything I can worry about. I can worry about family. I can worry about work. I can worry about ministry. I can worry about all kinds of stuff. But I, I, I'm, I've trained myself. I'm, I'm in the process of training myself more and more that when I get in that place, I catch myself and I go, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, 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 no. That's not where I'm going. I'm not going there. I'm waiting on, I'm waiting on my God. I'm trusting in my God. I'm going to be expectant. See, we have a right to be expectant when we're waiting on God. We have a right to expect that he's going to do what he said he's going to do. I can tell you in this, this year that we've had since March, I, I'm, I'm at so much peace, I almost feel guilty at times. Because I hear so much about fear and anxiety and worry and dread and doom and gloom. I hear so much of it, and I just, I just haven't gone there. And I just, I'm not, it's not that I'm naive. I know that what we've been dealing with this year has been deadly. I know it's caused a lot of pain and suffering in a lot of people. And it's, it's affected even my family and my life in some ways. But I can tell you that, that I just, I'm at a place where I'm like, okay, Lord, there's nothing I can do about this. But I know who you are. And I know you take bad situations and work them for my good. Right? So he either is who he says he is or he's not. And so I'm going to choose to trust him. And I can tell you, I'm, I'm so excited about the future, I can hardly stand it. I can't even tell you guys how excited I am about the future because you'll think I'm nuts. I'm telling you, I just believe it. I believe that God is going to use this. What the enemy meant for evil, God's going to use it for good. I believe that, that the world is going to see that there is more to life than what they've been doing and that life is fragile and that they're going to come running to the house of God to meet Jesus. I just believe it. I just believe it. And I'm not saying it's going to happen next week, tomorrow, next month. I don't know when. I just know that God does not allow stuff like this to happen without him getting glory from it. I just know it. I just believe it. I believe the Lord has spoken to me. I'm excited. I hope you guys will come along for the ride because I'm, I'm, I'm not driving the bus. I'm along for the ride too. We're just called to be faithful to what God's called us to do. And man, I'm, just, I'm excited because I just know that he is good. He's faithful and he is worthy of my trust. And he, he challenges me to be expectant about who he is and about what his promises are. And hallelujah, glory to God. I can't say I've had a, more than a, an hour or so at a time where I've been kind of down about what's happened this year. Just because I, I can't even allow myself to stay there. I just, nope, God, nope, 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 not going to do it. Not going to do it. You didn't, you didn't lead me to transition into leading a church during a pandemic just so you could see me crash and burn. You didn't do it. You did not do it. And I know it ain't about me anyway. It's not about anything that has to do with me. 
I know you got a plan. You didn't bring me this place for 47 years so we could close the doors and, and remember the days that were and the good times that New Hope had. No, 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 no. No way. You'll never get me to believe that. Never. Now, I'm here to tell you, though, I'm not saying that it's just all, we're just going to all have a party here and us Christians just get to be together and talk about how much we love Jesus and how good he is. I'm talking about the lost getting in here, getting saved. That's what I'm believing for. And I hope you guys are, too. So my last, my last point, I got to hurry, but I'm not going to hurry. Okay. <laughs> we'll just have lunch brought in. How about that? Chick-fil-A. All right, my last point, I can choose peace. That's how I stay calm in the dark. Did you know that you can choose peace? Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, though, does it? When we're in the moment and the emotions are high and our, our feels have taken over, it's very difficult sometimes to get to that place where we can choose peace, isn't it? But the peace that we choose is the, is, is the fruit of laying the groundwork so that when we're in those situations, we have that in our repertoire to be able to choose the peace that God would give. You see, your situations don't determine your peace. You do. You are not a slave to your emotions. You are not a victim to your circumstances. You're absolutely not a victim. There is no Christian in the world that can ever claim victimhood because we have been saved from too much. We have been forgiven from too much. We have been redeemed from too much to ever in a million years claim that we could be a victim. And I'm not saying that we don't get, things don't happen to us, okay? I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying to have the mentality of a victim, to live in that mentality, there's no place for it. Not if we're going to live according to this. There just isn't. We don't have to. And I, I don't want to. I don't think any of us want to be a victim, right? We want to be, we want to be victorious. We want to conquer the situations that come up in our life. But see, who we trust is really evident in the tough times. What we believe actually comes to the surface in the chaos. And I don't say that to condemn anybody, but when you're in a situation and you realize that, that what you believe is coming to the surface and you realize what you believe isn't what you thought you believed before the chaos, that's okay. That's just a matter of us just saying, okay, I need to reset. God, I need you to help me because the way I feel right now I know is not of you. The fact that I am crippled by fear right now, that's not of you. So help me to get to that place where I can trust you, where my circumstances don't rule me, but I can be victorious in the midst of those circumstances. We all need that reset. We all need that reminder. We all need that, those moments in life where we say, mm-mm, nope, nope. This is not how I, I, I say I believe something, but my life's not showing that I believe that. Take me to that place where I will actually believe it. And that's where we all need to be. That's what we all need to do. And none of us have it aced. None of us. Until we, until we leave this earth and meet Jesus face to face, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a struggle. But we can be more and more victorious all the time. We can train our mind. We can train ourselves to meditate on the things of God. In fact, let me give you uh, this verse in Romans 8. This is Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans 8, by the way, top five chapters in all the Bible. I encourage you to read it and read it again and read it again. Beautiful chapter. Verses 5 to 6, he says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Sounds like I can make a choice, right? And look what he says here. The mind governed by the flesh is death, 
But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Peace. And I love what Paul does here. He's he's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, the mind controlled by the flesh is death. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life. But then he goes another step. It's not just life. It's also peace. He's not just going to contradict the death and give you life. He's going to go another step and give you peace with that life. It's beautiful. But he's talking about the mind church. He's saying you, you can choose what you're going to meditate on. You can choose if you're going to allow your mind to be set on the things of the flesh or if it's going to be set on the things of the spirit. Now, does our mind go to the things of the flesh? Of course it does, but it doesn't have to set there. It doesn't have to camp out there, make residence there, root down there, dig the roots in and stay there. When the mind gets set on the flesh, we get, we get away from there and we go, no, I'm not going to stay there. You know, we, we live in this world. We have to, there's things of the flesh that just have to be dealt with. There's work, there's family, there's money, there's food, there's all those things that are of the flesh that aren't necessarily evil, but, our, but that can't be where our mind is, our meditation is, it can't be fixed there. You can't always be thinking about how I can further my career and how I can have more money and how I can have more vacation time and retire at 55 and all these things. Our mind needs to be fixed on the things of the Spirit. And we can actually train ourselves to think in such a way that we're thinking about the things of God more than we're thinking about the things of the world. But it takes training. It doesn't just happen when you get saved. Like all of a sudden, I don't care about anything else except for Jesus. That might happen for a few minutes, but the honeymoon ends eventually. Right? And the world has many demands. The world is wanting to steal your peace. Your flesh is wanting to steal your peace. Everything in this world wants to steal your peace. And the only way to keep that peace is to have our minds set on the things of the Spirit. I would encourage you guys. I mean, do you, when, you're, when you're at work, do you think about the cross? And what Jesus did for you. When you're driving down the road, do you think about, do you meditate on his faithfulness? You know, when you're home and you're at dinner, do you think about how much he loves you? And talk to your kids about how much God loves us. And when you're in bed, are you thankful when you get to bed at night and just thanking him for helping you to get through another day? And just always, you know, I, I was saying in the first service, I'm kind of, I've trained my mind that when I get in bed every night, I slide under the covers, I just automatically, I'm just saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I mean, it's just a, it's a natural response, you know, especially if the bed's nice and warm and it's cold out, you know, just thankful for a nice warm bed. I'm, and I'm thankful that all my kids are in the house and they're safe and, and that, that you gave me a wonderful wife and I've had a great day and I, I got through another day and you're good and you're faithful and, and you give me things I don't deserve and, and you don't give me the things I do deserve. I mean, just meditating on the things of God. We train our mind and we set our mind on the things of God, even though we have to go over here to the things of the flesh too, but our minds are not set on those things. And if we're given to the Spirit, we absolutely have reason to be at peace. We just do. And we don't have to feel guilty about it. I think sometimes as Christians, we feel guilty if we have too much peace because we see everybody else doesn't have it. And so we don't even want to brag about it. You know, we don't even want to boast about the fact that the Lord's done so much in our life. Paul says, if I boast, I'm going to boast in the Lord. We can boast that we're peaceful if we're giving glory to God. We should be doing that. We should never feel bad for having peace in our life. And in our heart. Isaiah 26, 3. He says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. You want perfect peace? Not just peace. Perfect peace. If our minds are steadfast on him. It's just another reference to making sure our minds are fixed on the things of the spirit. Because when it is, that's when we can trust him. We can't have peace if we don't trust God. That's where peace comes from. It's from trusting him. 
They're, they're synonymous. If I say, God, I trust you, then he gives you that peace. But I can't have that peace if I don't trust him, and I can't trust him if my mind is not on him. My mind has to be on him and his things. If we believe that he is who he says he is, church, we can have peace. If we believe that he's really the savior of the world, he's really the, our redeemer, he's the lamb of God, the spotless lamb of God that was, that was slain for the sins of the world, for your sins and for mine. If we really believe that he's the restorer, that he's our healer, that he's our provider, that he's our peace, that he's all those things, if we really believe that, then we can choose peace in our life. We can choose it no matter what may come. Whatever may come, we could choose it. And let me just finish with this. We, you don't, we don't have to be perfect in this. I, I'm not, this is not a rebuke by any stretch. This is a, an admonition. Just, we're, just, we're doing this together. We're walking this out together. We need to be reminded constantly of what it looks like to have the peace of God in our life, right? Because I even look at John the Baptist, and I've mentioned him a few times before because I think it is so fascinating and it is so freeing to me when I think of John the Baptist and the fact that that he actually baptized Jesus at the Jordan. And when he baptized him, it says that the, a voice from heaven, the Father himself, said, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. John heard that. How many people have heard the voice of the Father from heaven? By the way, the Son of God standing beside him as he's talking. I mean, I don't know if anybody's had an experience with God like John the Baptist, right? Not long later, he's in the jailhouse, and he's struggling. And he sends his disciples to Jesus to say, hey, are you really the one or should we be waiting for another? So the difference from the Jordan to the jailhouse was pretty big for John. And if he struggles, if he struggled, we probably will too. But here's the thing, church. We, we don't have to struggle and, and ignore the struggle. We attack the struggle. God, I am, I am struggling with doubt. I don't have peace because I'm doubting that you are really going to do what I think you're supposed to do. Or I'm, I'm struggling with doubt because I just don't know if you're going to be faithful in this situation in my life. That does not make God go, oh, I'm done with you. We're out of here. Let's go, angels. Let's move on to the next person. That's not what he does at all. We just come to him and we repent. We just repent of our doubt. We should be repenting of our doubt all the time. I do it all the time. As a Christian, we should have a lifestyle of repentance. Repentance is not a one-time thing to get saved at an altar. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's when God convicts you and shows you your error, you repent, you turn from it, and God comes in and helps you in it. But as long as we just, you know, we put up the facade and, I, oh, yeah, yeah, I got peace. I'm believing. Yeah, it's going to be good. Like we're fooling God. We're just fooling ourselves. We're fools. Repentance should not be something where we can't tell somebody we had to repent today because they'll think less of us as a Christian. I've repented twice this week and probably should have repented 20 times. I mean, I'm a human. Unless we're robots, the flesh, is, the flesh has to be crucified daily. It has to be crucified hourly. It has to be crucified every minute. Because it doesn't give up. And it ain't going to give up until we're with Jesus. And oh, what a glorious day. Man, I would be so glad to be done with this flesh. Woo! Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> it's going to be good. But until then, man, if we're struggling, if I, you're saying I don't have peace, I, it's really hard for me to trust God. Okay, repent. 
Just ask him to forgive you and ask him to show you what it looks like to trust him. I mean, it's, it couldn't be more simple. He says, oh, yeah, I got grace for that. I got all the grace in the world. I got, more, I got oceans of grace that you could never use up in a million years. That's who he is. So let's get out of this mentality that we got to be professional fakers and act like we got it all together because we're Christians. Right? Let's be real and transparent. That's where the real growth comes from. You know? When I actually, when I screw up in marriage and I go to Joy and I tell her I messed up and I'm sorry, man, our relationship just goes, whoosh. it grows instantly. But when I act like I didn't do anything wrong and I ask her if she's in a better mood yet, mm-mm. nope, 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 nope. I've never done that, by the way, and I never will. But that's how it works with God, too. He's even more forgiving than our spouse. He's way more forgiving than our spouse. He's way more forgiving than any of us could ever be. So let's be real with him. Amen? All right, would you stand with me so I close? Philippians 4, 7, one of the best verses in all the Bible. It says, The peace of God which transcends all understanding. Guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. All is calm. All is calm when he guards our heart and our mind. I want to pray for all of us today. It's a good crowd in here today. Appreciate you guys being engaged and excited about God's word. There's nothing better than God's word. Let's receive this prayer. I'm going to pray for you. I, I, I just encourage you to open your heart receive it. Respond in some way, whether it's lifting your hands or kneeling at your seat, closing your eyes. If there's somebody next to you that you're a spouse, you want to hold hands as we pray, whatever you want to do, but respond to this and receive it. It's important that we respond to the Word of God. So let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you that for your peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, that we can have a peace that the world doesn't even understand. We thank you today that you give us your peace. It's not as the world gives. It's so, so much better. Your peace is victory in the chaos. Lord, we come to you today and we repent where we have doubted. We repent where we have not trusted you. We repent where our minds have been set on the things of the flesh. God, we repent of it. We turn from it, Lord. We realize that we do it. And we thank you today that your grace is sufficient. We thank you for your forgiveness, Lord. We thank you that as we are transparent and we're humble before you, that we know that you meet us in that place. And you say, yes, not only will I forgive you, I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you the strength to be better. We thank you for that today, Lord. Make us better. Help us to walk in that perfect peace. All is calm. All is calm, Lord. Help us to believe it. Help us to know it. We thank you today that when darkness has an hour in our life, we can stand strong and know that we're not alone, that the darkness is temporary, and that we can choose peace. Lord, today we choose peace in Jesus' name. We choose it no matter what comes our way, God. We're going to choose your peace. We're going to choose to walk in the freedom that you've given us, Lord. We will stand on your truth. We thank you today that the truth sets us free that we know the truth, we love the truth, and it has made us free. And our freedom is not dependent on our outward circumstances. Lord, we're not asking you to fix every problem in our life. We're asking you to give us peace in the storm. And we'll wait for you because we know that you will bring us through it. 
We know that your word is true, that you work the good in all situations for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We stand on your word today. We know that it is true, and it will not return void in our lives. We thank you that you are changing us. You are renewing us even now. Seal the work that you're doing in our hearts today by your spirit, God. Seal it. We pray a hedge of thorns around each and every one of us. The enemy would not be able to take this word from our heart, but it would produce fruit in our lives. It would root deeply into our heart. Let our hearts be good soil today, God. We give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, all the love, Jesus. Thank you for coming 2,000 years ago as a baby into this world to redeem each and every one of us, God. Thank you for who you are, and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can you praise God today with a hand clap offering? Woo! And God is good, amen.